Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, we thank you. We can gather across the internet uh, to be able, Lord, to seek your face together as your children. And we thank you, Lord, for this very special book that's in our hands, Lord, your word. And we know you've given us, uh, Lord, uh, the Bible to be able to nurture and strengthen our faith. So, Father, as we read Exodus 17, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe upon it, make it living, make it alive. And I pray that you'd help us uh, to be able, Lord, uh, individually to receive specifically what you want us to get and apply in our lives. So, Father, we thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do. And we just pray it in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, again, good morning. I hope you folks are all doing well and getting ready for a, a weekend of change of pace a little bit. So the other week I had, I think, 50 some verses to read and it was big. So this week I compensate with a little bit shorter. So let's look at Exodus 17. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord. And they camped at Rapidium, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they'll stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I'll stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did. So in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel, the sons of Israel, because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Verse 8 Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rapidium. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with a staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought against Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then he took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. 
Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial, recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. And he said, the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Amen. Okay, as I was looking over Exodus 17, uh, it always helps me to kind of break uh, a chapter down into different segments. At least it helps my head to get some organization to try to get uh, the central points. I think sometimes we study the Bible and we read it and we go right through it and we read it. And then you say, well, what did you get out of it? Well, I'm not sure, but I read it. So I think sometimes by breaking it down into key topics, it can maybe drive the, the point home a little bit clearer. So as I look at Exodus 17, um, four specific points come to mind. Number one, the importance of trusting God. Big deal. Number two, the danger of grumbling. Uh, three, the importance of prayer. And the last, the importance of community. So let's just jump in right into number one. Uh, spot here, the idea of the importance of putting our trust in the Lord. So look at uh, Exodus 17 and verse 1. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and they camped at Rapidium, and there was no water for the people to drink. So Again, you got to remember, uh, they are in an extremely hot climate. They're in a wilderness. They're in a desert. Uh, it is probably steaming hot. And as they're crossing this desert, uh, they're getting thirsty and thirsty and thirsty. Uh, and it says right here, uh, as they're traveling, there's no water for the people. Okay? So we're sitting in a very nice little comfortable setting. I'm sure each of you at home, you're not sweating at this point. Uh, but you got to realize they're out there and it's grueling hot. There's no water. And they had an attitude. Uh, and I think maybe we would have as well. Their attitude, it says, uh, verse two, therefore the people quarreled with Moses. They're upset with him, but good. And they said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said, then I'm, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? So I can almost hear the, the Israelites. I mean, they are really, they're not happy. I mean, think about it. A while back, they're crying. We got to get out of Egypt. We got to get out of Egypt. Uh, God gets them out of Egypt, opens up a Red Sea. And uh, it looks like everything is going just great. Uh, again, here in this situation, they're extremely thirsty. So the environment and the situation is bearing down on them. Uh, and I can hear them being so upset with Moses, like say, hey, Moses, you got us into literally a dead end. Yeah, thanks. We appreciate it. You got us out of Egypt. But guess what? You let us into a desert. There's no water and we're going to die. So they're quarreling and they are definitely upset. If you go verse three, but the people thirsted there for water and they grumbled against Moses and they said, why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? 
Okay. <clears throat> so they're not only upset with Moses. They're upset with God, okay? Because God's the one that's telling Moses what to do. So they're really upset with the servant of God, but they're upset with the God behind the servant, okay? Uh, and Moses makes it very clear. They're not just ticked off with him. They're upset with God because he said, here, why do you test the Lord? Why do you test the Lord? So I, I hear Moses say, and by the way, we're talking about a couple million Jews here. We're not talking a handful. There's a lot of people. I know leadership is not easy on a small scale. I can't imagine being responsible for millions of these people, and they're all whining and complaining. Uh, it's not a pretty picture. And basically, I hear Moses say uh, to the people, you know, like, why are you upset? Why are you testing God? Why are you seeing how far you can push him before he, you have consequences? And it reminds me of a little kid. You know, they, they want to see how far they can push you. I want to get as much as I can get without the consequences. And Moses says, you're testing God. You're testing his patience. You're pushing him on the edge here. Uh, don't do that. You're asking for proof, but God's already given you proof. And I think about this. Uh, I can almost hear God saying or Moses saying, um, you know, I've already proven who I am. Okay. A. You've seen all these supernatural plagues that I brought upon the Egyptians. You've seen, okay, Israelites, you have your eyes. You've seen that I have intervened into history to help you as a nation. Okay, A, I hope you get it. B, I think he said, by the way, Israelites, you folks literally saw the Red Sea open. You have literally, with your eyeballs, experienced a miracle of the living God. You've seen all these plagues. You've seen the opening of the Red Sea. And by the way, Israel, we had a situation like this earlier, and I, I came through for you then. Uh, there's an interesting thing in Exodus 15. and We just looked at that the other day. But it's the same situation all over again. Listen to this. Exodus, yes, I just had to flip a page here. Exodus 15, 22, the Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Sur. They went three days in the wilderness. They found no water. Okay, so they come out. Red Sea is opened, and immediately almost they run out of water. Uh, 23, and when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. So the people grumbled at Moses and said, what shall we drink? So, okay, so this situation we see today that had happened just a little while back. And look at what God did. Verse 25, then he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. He threw it into the waters and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and a regulation and there he tested them. So again, I hear God saying, hey, you've seen miracles that I used to get you out of Egypt. You've seen the miracle of the Red Sea opening. Back a little ways, you had problem with water, but yeah, I came through. And I think God's saying, don't you get it, Israel. If I did it back then, I can do it again now. And not only can I do it again now, I will do it again now. So um, basically, he's saying, trust me. Trust me. Now, to me, I think it's very easy for any of us to throw stones at the Israelites and say, boy, they are really dumb. 
they are stupid and they're rebellious. Uh, but then I have to ask myself, have I acted like them at some point? Or have you acted like them at some point? So my question to each of us today, what, what happens in your life? What happens in my life when the waters literally dry up? I'm just pausing a minute to let you think about that. What do you do when the waters dry up? What do you do when you have a health crisis that comes unexpectedly barging into your life? What do you do when you have a relationship issue that gets almost like a, a Goliath problem in your life? What do you do when your finances bottom out? What is your response? What is my response? Have you ever found yourself doubting God? And I have to raise my hand and say, yeah, I've had those experiences where I've actually doubted God, like what's going on? Uh, and like, okay, Lord, what are you trying to say here? So I think the Lord is saying, trust me. I mean, there's times maybe like the Pharisees in the New Testament who might say, Lord, give me a sign. Help me, help me know what you're doing. But many times I, I think God doesn't give signs because he says, you know what? I have given you enough proof already. I don't need to give you any more proof. I don't need to do some special big miracle display out of heaven. I've proven myself. Now, will you trust me? And I think the Lord would clearly say, I've done that in history. And I think the Lord would say, hey, pick up this book. Carefully read the Old Testament. Carefully read the New Testament. This is literally God's a biography, you might say, with the human race in this book. And over and over and over and over, God displays his power, whether it's in the Old Testament, whether it's in the New. Very clearly, uh, he is proven he is God and he is almighty. But not only has he proven that he has the power, maybe even more importantly for you and I, is he's proven that he has the love. If you clearly see the Old Testament, God is pursuing. He is the husband pursuing a bride that has run away. And his love pursues Israel unbelievably. His patience, his long-suffering with Israel is unbelievable. And in the New Testament, like God has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt in history, his love for you and I by sending his son into the world. And not only by only sending him into the world, but allowing Jesus literally to die on a cross for your sin and mine. So I think the Lord is saying, I've done everything I can to show you that I am for you, that I'm on your side, that I love you, and that I want to care for you, and I want to provide for you, and my power will be at your disposal. So I would say this. I think he'd say, trust who you see in the word. Trust me that I'm loving. Irregardless of your circumstances, trust me that I'm good. Trust me that I'm all wise, that I know better than you what's best in your current situation. Trust me that I am sovereign and that nothing can happen in your life or mine unless I've allowed it to occur. So I think God's basically saying, trust my character. And I think there's so many, many, many illustrations of trust in the Bible. Abraham, we've looked at Abraham. 
Boy, talking about trust, he was willing to sacrifice his only son. Think about not only Abraham, think about Joseph, who went through all kind of literally hell, and yet he continued to trust the Lord. Uh, you can look at so many ever. David, with his battle with Goliath, also with Ruth or Paul in the New Testament. Over and over, we see in the Bible examples of trust. But before I move on, I just want to just say this little thing. You might be saying, and, and I could be thinking, okay, Lord, I know it's important to trust you. I know it's important not only to trust you, but it's important uh, to be able to put that trust in action. How can I do it, Lord? I want the trust, but it's not strong enough. And I think there's a tremendous verse in the Bible uh, that tells us how to build our trust. It's in Psalm 9:10. Just I mean, this verse is, is a gem, and I would encourage you to hang on to it and study it and meditate upon it. Psalm 9:10. Those who know thy name will put their trust in thee. Those who know thy name, the name represents the character of a person. If I bring up a name in my mind, I think of a person, but I think not only of their bodily form. I think of their character, the way they respond, the way they think, the way they speak. So God basically says, those who know my name, if they know my name, they will put their trust in me. So uh, it's not just knowing intellectually about God. It's, it's not just getting more data. God is saying here, as you build an intimate relationship with me as you get to know me under the inspiration and illumination of the holy spirit the more you know who i am not just in your head but in your heart as a consequence out of that relationship will grow a trust you don't have to try to trust it's it comes out of a relationship think about it on the planet there's certain people you trust you, you trust them with your life why because you know them and I hear God saying the same thing, get to know me. And the best way to get to know me is through this book. And as you get to know me, then you're going to be able then to put your trust in me. So that's number one point that I hear as we look at this, trust God. Even in the hardest situations, trust him. Trust him even when you don't understand everything, because his brain and mine is a lot bigger than mine and yours. Trust his love, trust his goodness, trust his wisdom, trust his power, okay? So that's number one, uh, the importance of trusting God. Number two, the danger of grumbling. The danger of grumbling. You can see that the people grumbled uh, against Moses. They grumbled against God, which means basically they didn't trust God. They didn't respect God uh, in a sense. They were finding fault with God. Not only that, they were actually in a rebellion against God. So let me, let me ask just a, a little bit of a, a, a question. Because in Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, over and over, we see the people grumble. They find fault. They complain. They whine. So here's the question. What demonstrates your lifestyle? What demonstrates my lifestyle? Do I grumble? Am I a complainer? Or quite the opposite, am I one that has a thankful spirit? 
I mean, that's a heavy duty question. Think about it. Uh, it's a check for all of us, for me and for you, because there's just some people, they grumble. I mean, they, they, they don't like the weather. Uh, they don't like the job. They don't like the people they live with. They don't like the people they work with. There's a problem all the time. The Israelites grumbled over and over and over. And God doesn't want us to grumble. He wants us to be a people that give thanks. And by the way, the Bible is very clear, not just to give thanks when anything is going well, when the sun is shining and you're just having a ducky day. Uh, no, the Bible says we're to give thanks, not just on the good days, quote unquote, but even in the hard and difficult times. Uh, let me give you a verse to prove it. It's 1 Thessalonians and 5.19. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, not some things. Uh, I'm, this is not John Cook throwing this baby out here. It's God. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Why do you give thanks in everything? Well, you don't have to give thanks for everything because a lot of things are bad and they're not good, but give thanks in because God wants to bring a good even on your worst day. Uh, we have a, a verse that is a, probably a, a mainstay for many of us. It's Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes what? All things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. God causes <laughs> all things, not some things, all things to work together. By the way, it, if you look at this verse, it doesn't mean all things are good, no. But it says God causes all things to work, and the big word there is together. Somehow, in all the ins and the outs and the ups and the downs and the pains of life, as they all mix together, God can use all these things to bring a good result. But there's conditions to that. Uh, one is, is the, to those are called according to his purpose. That means, i.e., I made a commitment to Jesus. That verse is not for an unbeliever. It's for a believer that has made a, a commitment to Christ. And it says, uh, to those that love God. Meaning, even in the hard times, they're trusting God, and they're loving God, and they're not whining, and they're not complaining. So basically... This verse means God will bring good out of whatever's happening, maybe not instantaneously, it may take time to unfold, but God will bring good out of even the hardest times if we're a Christian and if we love him and trust him in the midst of that. There's another verse, <clears throat> very similar, you've heard this one, uh, James 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of what? Here it is, what we started out with, the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So again, uh, that's, a just, that's just a reminder for me. I hope it's a reminder for you. Does Thanksgiving mark my lifestyle? Am I more of a complainer or am I more of a person that's giving thanks as I journey through life? Okay. So number one, God wants us to trust him with our whole heart. Number two, he doesn't want us to grumble. And, and by the way, what's at the root of grumbling? You think about it. why do people grumble? 
because they don't trust. So if you're really trusting, it will really pretty much wipe out the grumbling aspect. The root of grumbling is, I believe again, lack of trust. Okay, let's do the, <clears throat> the last two, the importance of prayer. If you look at verse eight, then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rapidium. Uh, Amalek, uh, that represents the enemies of Israel that were coming against them uh, to try to wipe them out. Uh, so, okay, the enemy's coming. So what's Moses do? Verse nine, so Moses said to Joshua, Joshua is his right-hand man. <clears throat> Choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the stamp of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. Okay, so get the picture. Uh, there's down in the valley, Joshua was down there fighting the battle against Amalek and the bad guys. Up on the mountain is Moses, her, and Alan, Aaron. And it's very interesting. Uh, as Moses is up there, he's lifting up the staff. By the way, this is the staff that he lifted up also when the Red Sea opened. God said, stretch out your hand. So what's the rod? Is it just a piece of wood? I don't believe so. I think that piece of wood that Moses lifted up to open up the Red Sea or the piece of wood that he's lifting up now in the battle is not just a piece of wood. Literally, I think it represents God's authority and God's power. So I, I, if I piece it together, there's a war going on. And God says to Moses, you lift the staff up. You lift up my authority and my power in this battle. Do it, Moses. And I'm thinking, okay, uh, I think that, well, you know, what is this? Is it just the fact of lifting up a piece of wood? <clears throat> I think what, what God's really saying, Moses exercised my authority. And I think what he means by that Moses, you pray. You pray. And when you're in the mountain and you're praying down on the battlefield, your prayers are going to make a difference in the battle. And as you pray, I'm going to bring victory to the Israelites. And it's interesting. It says very clearly here, as Moses lifted up the rod, exercised the authority, as he prayed, Israel prevailed. But guess what? <clears throat> there were times that Moses dropped that rod. And as he dropped that rod, guess what? Israel began to be defeated. So it's almost the idea to me <clears throat> that as Moses prays, there's victory. As Moses stops praying, victory begins to wane and go away. So I think we need to realize something here about prayer. God could do anything he wants. God could win any victory. He just has to snap his fingers and say, it's done. And Amalek is wiped out. Or he could do the same for you. God could just say, I'll, every battle you got, no problem, boom, I'm going to do it. But it seems that God doesn't want to bring answers on the earth just sovereignly all by himself. He wants to partner with you and I to make things happen. In other words, I don't believe he wants us down here on the earth to sit in the grandstands doing nothing. 
I think he wants you and I as Christians to be on the playing field and to be in the action. And we're part of bringing his will to pass. Uh, so in other words, it's almost like God says, I've designed the universe in such a way that as you pray, my will is released. But if you don't pray, then I've chosen not to move because I've chosen to move through you, not apart from you. An illustration I remember once that was given to me was the idea of going to a bank and get to a safe deposit box. Now, I don't know, if that, does anybody have a safe deposit box? Uh, uh, those are the good old days. That's, and I'm giving you a, a touch of my age here. But to get into a safe deposit, I never had one myself, but I, go, I went with my dad to go to the bank. And you go into the, the vault and the, the, the uh, people at the bank have a key and they stick it in the safe deposit, but they can turn that all they want. They can't get in the box. If I go in and I stick my key in, try to turn it and get in the box, I can't get in. The bank can't get in, I can't get in. But if the bank puts its key in, I put my key in, both keys together unlock the box and I can get what's inside. So I think that's a, an illustration of the way God works. His key is always in the box. He's already and willing to move in our situations, but he says, I'm waiting. And unless you put your key in, it isn't going to happen. And I think I can back that up with the scripture verse. <clears throat> in uh, James 4, 2, it says this, you do not have what? Because you do not ask. Think about that. This is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth is speaking to us, his creation, his kids. He says, you don't have because you don't ask. I'm not just going to drop it out of the sky, just nonchalant. He says, I want you to ask. In fact, if you look at Matthew 7, 7, uh, Jesus said this, ask and it shall be given you, right? Seek and you'll find. And then he says, what? Knock and the door will be opened to you. So God's very, very clear to me. Raise your hands in prayer. You're going to see me move when you pray. Now, I, somebody may say, I'm sure, well, you know, Pastor John, I prayed, and guess what? I don't see any answers to prayer. And I think we don't have enough time at all, but we need to realize there's conditions to prayer. God doesn't promise to answer every single prayer that we make. There's conditions, i.e., we need to be praying in his will. God's not going to answer a prayer outside of his will. That would not be good for him or us. We have to have faith. That's an ingredient to answered prayer. We need to be persistent. We need to have holy lives. So there are conditions. Uh, but the underlying thing is this, is we need to pray. And it's very clearly illustrated here. When Moses prays, something happens. When he stops it stops. And that leads me to the last thing, basically, is the importance of community, okay? If you can, I don't know how long this battle went, but you try just keeping your hands up like this. I mean, I can do that. No problem. Do it for five minutes, 15 minutes, maybe a half hour. You try keeping your hands up like that for a couple hours, your hands are going to get tired, and eventually they're going to drop. And that's probably what happened. His, we, we see here, his hands got heavy, it says he got tired and guess what when he got tired in a sense symbolically 
he wasn't praying and guess what israel started to go down the tubes so i got a, a kick it's really cool aaron and her are sharp cookies so they say okay we know there's something important about keeping moses hands up so what we're going to do we're going to let this guy it says right here in verse 12 um then they took a stone put it under moses and he sat on it and aaron her supported his hands and they literally they lifted his hands for him and guess what israel wins the battle so what, what i hear god saying is this i think it's really important uh is this sometimes life gets overwhelmed what do you think i know i've had that maybe somebody here on the screen today i mean you're overwhelmed you're just you know you're just plain tired and worn out times when we get discouraged times when we we want to give up it's at times like that we really need somebody to talk to we need somebody to pour out our heart to to be able to unlearn our burdens on them uh we need someone at that times when we're just shot to be able to stand in the gap and literally pray for them and i've known christians in the hospital that i visited that said, Pastor, I am so weak. I'm so done, I can't even think to pray. Would you please pray for me? Stand in the gap for me. And I know, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, other folks here, you can testify, I've literally felt the power of prayer wrapped around me. But just give you two very recent illustrations. Just a, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, I got married to Kathy, and uh, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to get anxious over this and nervous. You know, there's a lot of people out there, and I'm going to get myself wound up and get uptight. But, you know, there were so many people praying. Literally, I felt, and not only I, but Kathy, we felt such a little supernatural peace at the wedding and the reception. There's no way, brothers and sisters, I could have jacked that up. Impossible. It was a gift of God walked through the prayers of God's people. <clears throat> Last week, um, I had a hip replacement, which is an interesting situation. If you ever need to have a hip replacement, let me know. I'll clue you in on the process. <laughs> Better to get a miracle directly if you can, but God does it one way or the other, and he's pretty good. But literally, I was, I was surprised, but not surprised. There was really a peace going into that operating room. That's unique. If you've ever been operating, you're just laying on a gurney waiting for somebody to wheel you in. I mean, talk about a helpless feeling. And if all you got at that point is you, you're definitely in trouble. But it's amazing. Uh, again, I felt literally the prayers of God's people with a peace. So... I can't not encourage you strong enough. Do not be a lone ranger. Let me say it again. Do not be a lone ranger Christian. Do not be a solitary Christian. Jump into the body of Christ. I highly urge you, make sure you get there for Sunday to worship with, with the group. But please take a step even closer than that. I encourage you, connect groups are just around the corner here. In fact, there was a sign up last week and there'll be a couple more. 
get into a connect group, get into a small group. I believe that's where the tire literally meets the road. That's where you really get to know, not just about somebody. And, you know, when they say on the, the service, just wave hands, greet somebody, you're never going to get to know somebody that way. But in these small groups, you begin to share your, your thoughts. You begin to share your heart. Uh, as you build a trust, you begin to be vulnerable and share some of your, your issues or your, your problems. It's there in these little intimate groups, literally, I believe, uh, that we get that trust. We all need an Aaron and a her. Everybody on the screen needs an Aaron and a her. Somebody to lift us up, someone to support us, not only that for us, but we need to be doing that for them. So definitely jump into a connect group. Uh, and I would say even a step beyond, there's the big Sunday morning, there's the connect groups, maybe 10 people, but you know, let the Lord bring somebody or just a few people in your life that are extremely close and intimate with you, because in those relationships, it even gets more profound because it's in the very small, close intimacy that we really get to know each other and get to know the Lord. So make friends in the church, build trusting relationships. Uh, and again, I just encourage you as we look at Exodus 17, trust the Lord. He is worthy of your trust. He's worthy of trust. I'm not saying it's easy. He's worthy of your trust. Get to know him intimately. Out of intimacy comes the ability to have faith and trust in him. Check your life. I need to check my life. Am I a grumbler and a complainer? Is that, is that the way I use my mouth? Or am I one that gives thanks to the Lord, even in the hard times? Do I believe in the power of prayer? And not only do I believe it, am I practicing prayer? And I just want to give you an invite if you want to practice prayer in a powerful way. Uh, each month we've been having these meetings called uh, Revive Us Again meetings, where we're praying for the Holy Spirit to come in our area and to touch the churches and then impact and change the neighborhoods. Uh, we've had an amazing time doing that each month. Uh, 12 churches or more are involved. We did that infusion just a while back. But if you'd like to be able to get into an exciting prayer and gathering, uh, there's a website. And it's very simple to remember. Revive Us Again. You remember that old song? Reviveusagain.org. And it'll tell you each month where those meetings are. So the next one is on Sunday, September 18th at the Gathering Church in Ocean View. A little further south. But I just want to give you an invite. Again, I believe there's power in prayer, and this is a good way to see it. And last, uh, build loving and trusting relationships. You can't do the journey of Christianity all by yourself. You're not going to be effective that way, uh, and you're going to miss a tremendous blessing. So let's take a minute. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for being able to journey with us through Exodus 17. Father, I just pray, Lord, for each of us that you would allow our trust to grow stronger and stronger and stronger, even when we don't understand things, even when we don't feel you, that we would trust that you are for us, not against us. Father, we pray you'd help us to guard our, our tongues. Lord, you know how easy it is for us uh, to get frustrated and complain and whine and all the other stuff. 
Father, we pray, help us to be a thankful people, not just on the good times, but in the struggles. And Father, we thank you. There's tremendous power in prayer. Uh, remind us of that, Lord, and help us, Lord, not just to know that in our heads, but to practice that with our lives, that we would be praying and literally bringing heaven to earth through our intercessions and petitions. And Father, we thank you for the beauty of the body of Christ. Uh, Father, we thank you for brothers and sisters that walk beside us. Thank you for brothers and sisters that encourage us and pray for us. Uh, Lord, just help us to be that kind of a person as well. So Lord, we commit this day into your care. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for sustaining us. And we thank you what you did for the Israelites. You'll do for us, Lord, as we keep our eyes on you. So, Lord, we thank you, and we just pray it boldly in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You folks have a great day. Great seeing you on the screen. Enjoy your week and uh, your weekend, and catch you real soon. God bless you all. Bye now.